0: Hello, Lovebug, and welcome to Chronic Sex, the podcast about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are affected by chronic illness and disability. Given the subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones in right now, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. It's good to have you with us today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing before we start today's show i want to take a moment to thank our newest supporters from patreon kylie and rafe eric biggs who runs a site called sexability yes i am nerding out right now I really love the work that I do, but since I don't get paid, I do heavily rely on donations from sites like Patreon and PayPal to try to help cover some of the costs of running Chronic Sex. I'm crowdsourcing through a new progressively feminist site called iFundWomen, and there's some really cool rewards on there. I'll put the links in the show notes, as it's a little involved to spell out here. Now, on to today's show. (music) Today, we're talking to my friend, Kira Lynn, a life coach, registered professional counselor, and psychotherapist living in Canada. She deals with chronic illnesses herself, and this is part of what pushes her and her work to help others. We talk about her book, Aches, Pains, and Love, Communication, Boundaries, and a whole lot more.
1: I am so excited, Kira, to have you on the show today. I cannot believe that we have been like following each other and talking to each other online for so long and haven't actually had a real conversation yet. And (laughs) I am so beyond excited for the listeners to hear all this great work you're doing um, and learn more about you. So I I definitely appreciate you being here today.
2: Thank you so much, Kirsten. I'm so happy to be here, excited to be chatting with you. I think these are such important topics that really don't get a lot of coverage. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm happy, very pleased.
1: <laughs> um, so so for our listeners who don't know you, they should, but if, if they don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of um, how you got to, the multiple things you're doing as a, a life coach, a counselor, a psychotherapist, and an awesome writer?
2: Yes, I, I can start. It's a long, it's a bit of a long story, so I'll try and make it as concise as possible. Um, I have been living with chronic pain and illness for over 20 years, maybe oh, 22, 23 years, and I have been through many careers in that time as well. Well, quite a few. Um I spent a lot of my 20s trying to be quote-unquote normal like all my other friends, figured if they can do it, why can't I, um, and, you know, struggled a lot not accepting what was going on in my body, and then in my 30s as things started to snowball and I collected more health conditions, I started to get to the point where I realized that I was going to really have to make some massive changes in my life. Um, I started out working, I have various degrees and diplomas in completely different areas. Uh, I've worked in hospital administration, I've been a restaurant manager, and then I ended up in law, where I worked as a paralegal for 10 years. And in a lot of ways, it was a great career. But as time went on, and as my health deteriorated, I found myself less and less able to sit at a desk and function five Mm -hmm. days a week, all day. Um, In terms of my health. Really, the umbrella term that my doctor uses is central sensitivity syndrome, which means my nervous system has basically, basically gone haywire um, and includes such health conditions as fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis, um, interstitial cystitis, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, migraines. There's a few more on that list, but that's sort of those are sort of the, the big ones. Mm-hmm. And um, just mostly started with chronic pain in my teens with migraines and pelvic pain, and that sort of grew into the, the syndrome. The, the more I felt like the more stress I had in my life and the harder things got, the worse my health became. It was like everything was snowballing. And mm-hmm. I reached a point when I realized I just couldn't sit and work in the law firm anymore physically, I just couldn't do it. And I was in too much pain every day, My and I was really depressed as a result. And I realized I've got to quit because this isn't really my passion either. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. it, I was good at it, but ultimately it wasn't that fulfilling. So I took some time off and went back to school and got my holistic nutrition diploma and then went back to school and became a professional counselor and a life coach. And that's when I really discovered my purpose. (laughs) I, I, wow. It's working with people has been the most fulfilling experience in my life. Um, just being able to help and support people through their ups and downs, really, that's what really lights me up. Um, and helping people achieve things they never thought possible. I, it it brings me energy rather than drains me, which has been my experience Mm -hmm. of all my other jobs. Um, so in my practice, I work I work most of my work is focused on relationships, whether it's with your partner, friends, family, coworkers, and most importantly with yourself. That's really where my practice um, focuses. And then there's this other part of my work where I work look at chronic pain and illness, and that's been more in my writing uh and my social media presence, which where I aim to really support people. Who live with chronic pain and illness in a positive way um, some clients that I see do overlap into the chronic pain and illness area I see a lot of people who have trouble because their mental emotional stress has reached the point where their body is starting to break down mm-hmm. so that seems to be happening quite a bit you know where self-care is missing and the body resells you, <laughs> so you know there's a bit there's an overlap in my in my counseling and coaching practice with my writing, um, but they they are a little different too. So there's a lot going on, <laughs> and in the meantime, I'm managing my health conditions.
1: Yeah, you are um, a Jill of all trades. Oh well, thank sure. you.
2: you.
1: You just do so much, and it's um. You know, for those who haven't followed you on social media and, and read your writing, it is just incredible. Um, it's uplifting. It imparts hope, uh, even like for someone like myself who hates the word hope. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, um, it makes you feel, to, to use kind of a weird, uh, you know, analogy, it makes you feel um, kind of that same joy that you might feel if you're visiting, like, a grandparent and they're talking you to, through, through a rough time and they've, like, made you hot chocolate and you're sitting there and you're just snuggled mm. and comfortable and, like, that's kind mm-hmm. of the feeling that I get from your writing on, you know, a personal level and I think, oh, you know... Well, I thank you for, for everything
2: um, And, you know, well, the, I want, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say, I really wanted to make the book readable, more like a conversation than, you know, just a, a book. I've read a lot of self-help books in my lifetime. Um, and I always find that they can start out strong. And then I kind of lose interest when the personal stories end and, you know, the that the really juicy stuff has, is done and it's, it becomes rough, tough going through some of them. And I really wanted to write something that I would want to read. So I tried to keep it as, you know, read, yeah, readable as possible.
1: Yeah, it, it, it really is, um, a great book is one that in, in kind of the work that I've done with the Arthritis Foundation and, and, um, their kind of young adult track, which is 18 and over, mm-hmm. um, you know, people with juvenile arthritis like myself. Um, it's it's one of kind of those two books that I suggest mm-hmm. to people. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, the ultimate guide to sex and disability, which I think everybody who listens to this should have, um, and and then your book, which is newer and and just feels more you know, it, it feels more modern, it feels, mm. as you were saying, like, like a conversation. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've really liked about aches, pains and love is that towards the end, you do have this chapter um, for, you know, partners and spouses of people who are dealing with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I may be a little biased because of my husband, but I think mm-hmm. that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I think that's something that we often overlook
2: is mm-hmm.
1: how, how our illness and our experience of pain can affect them on an emotional level, on a psychological level, and even on a physical level, if they're not being mm-hmm. able to practice self-care the way that they need to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, it can lead to their own chronic illness issues. So, <laughs>
2: Absolutely. And I know there have been times, usually when I'm at my worst, and, uh, you know, as you probably know, when you have these health conditions that are often part medical mystery, um, you go through ups and downs with it. And in some of the downs where I've been in excruciating pain and feeling terrible, doesn't even occur to me what the people around me are feeling. Cause in my head, it's like, I feel like I'm dying. Everyone should be doing everything they can to help me make this better. At least when I first started out. And it didn't really, it didn't really occur to me like, oh, you're all feeling fine. Like, it didn't occur to me that what I was going through might affect the people around me. Cause my only focus was to stop the pain. Um, and, I became more enlightened about what it was like to be around people who do have chronic pain and illness and be in relationships with them to, you know, meeting people in my work, other relationships that I had. And, and now I'm like, yeah, it's really important. It's really important for your partner to take care of themselves and for the person with the health condition to recognize that their partner also needs, you know, their own thing happening and their own self-care.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's also important as we talk about self care and relationships where there is chronic illness or chronic pain involved that we recognize that it's, um, it's healthy to have time apart. Whether that's, you know, <laughs> time where you're doing different things or um, time where maybe one of you is working and the other one's at home during that time period or, or what have you. Um, it's important, an important part of self care for us to have release that doesn't always involve um, our partners just because, you know, too much, um, too much stress in a relationship. Plus, too much time together that isn't necessarily mm-hmm. quality time um, can really cause more tension and, and more stress on the relationship. So, oh,
2: absolutely. I- yes. Highly agree with that. As a, as a counselor, for, and just for regular people and for people with chronic pain and illness regular people, whatever that is. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I think that's an interesting uh, conversation that should be had at some point. Like the CDC has come out with a a statistic for the U S that says that, um, pretty soon here, it'll be one out of every two people has some sort of chronic illness or condition. Um, which I mean, some of the things that they classify as a chronic illness or condition aren't, I don't know. They, I I know that they can be very impactful for each person, but sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, like my patellofemoral arthralgia, AKA like my kneecaps don't stay in, in the right place because Mm. of, you know, muscle stuff and whatever. If I was more active, that might be something I would consider to be more of a chronic (laughs) illness. but, But for me right now, that is, like the lowest on my priority list, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what they consider as a, as a chronic condition that I, I I don't know what what uh you know classifiers they use for that, but it's an interesting conversation as as mm-hmm. to how do we how do we differentiate between the two groups then without uh, I don't know being awkward or. Or somehow isolationist or, you know, some kinds of those things that, that it seems like happen often in like the chronic illness community, even around, um, opiates lately, Mm -hmm. there's, Mm -hmm. there's been this whole conversation about, well, we're patients, not addicts. And it's like, well, but addicts also have a chronic illness Mm -hmm. and they're dealing with usually it's like multiple chronic issues.
2: Right. And it's not black and white.
1: Right, yeah you know and and so how do we how do we address that issue of yes we do need better pain relief and yes we do actually need better you know opiate control mm-hmm. and 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 better um, addiction treatment but but none of those have to be actually separate from each other um, yeah
2: you know, I was thinking yesterday that is an issue definitely one that I, I'm not that heavily involved in because, I haven't taken opiates in quite a while, thankfully I haven't needed to and I have other pain management medications and strategies that have been working, but definitely an interesting conversation, important conversation to have. I, I, and I, you know, I was thinking about just, I think it's just almost, we need to spread more awareness about some of these conditions, mm-hmm. even among doctors. Yesterday I was getting an iron infusion at the hospital because I, through IV because I don't absorb it. And uh, the doctor on, they have like a doctor who sees everyone in the little IV room. And he asked me what my main condition was. And I said, myalgic encephalomyelitis. And he looked at me and he's like, what? He didn't even know what my condition was, which I found interesting (laughs) and a little worrisome. Yes. Um, I mean, yes, it's a newer term that's now used for chronic fatigue syndrome, but It's not that new.
1: (laughs) No, it's it's been around a long enough time that you should know. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: So, you know, I think there's just so much to be done in so many areas around these chronic illnesses and invisible illnesses.
1: It's true. It's, um, It's an issue that we don't talk about as much. I think that many of us who deal with these conditions kind of get in the mindset of, Either we don't really want to talk about it because, again, we want to try to fit in with everybody else mm-hmm. as much as we can. Right. And, and so talking about it doesn't really help. But I think on the other hand, too, it's just such a vulnerable situation to put yourself in to talk about these issues, especially when they're not always as overtly obvious as,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, some chronic illnesses or disabilities are. Um you know, for those of us who have invisible disabilities, it can be very difficult, especially, um, you know, getting people to understand and recognize mm-hmm. that, yeah, just because I walked a mile yesterday doesn't mean that I can today, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I don't need to use a cane today. Like <laughs> Right, yeah. The, the unpredictability of illness is a hard one not only to accept as a patient, but also to explain and impart knowledge about to other people.
2: <laughs> yes. And I found my life getting a lot easier when I dropped the need for everybody to around me around me to understand what I was going mm-hmm. through and what my illness was all about. Mm-hmm. I what really helped me was having some friends that also were dealing with these types of conditions who totally got me. And I, you know, we, there's no need for us to explain to each other what's happening in our lives. (laughs) Just like I'm having a crash day. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. So having those people is really valuable and really decrease my need for, you know, some other people in my life, family, some more distant friends to really understand what I was going through because do they? No, not really. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if they have an issue with me declining to do something, well, that's, their issue. Um, I do understand, like there are still some people that are, it's important for them to know what's happening with me, but it reduced the amount of people that I felt I needed to sort of not just understand me, but to to explain myself and justify myself for, for what Mm -hmm. I was or wasn't doing.
1: Yeah. That, that burden of proof wasn't Mm -hmm. something you had to to deal with for those people. That's, I think that's interesting um, because it, it turns into like this interesting balance in our lives where we have, you know, people who are dealing with similar issues, and so you don't need a burden of proof there. Mm-hmm. You you have people who you have gone through the burden of proof process with, and they they get it enough to be mindful and and considerate and compassionate to what you're going through, mm-hmm. and then you kind of have this other third where. You, you know that the burden of proof is just not something you need. And I think that's just an interesting mm-hmm. um, kind of spectrum to consider, like, where we would place uh, people in our lives, like, in, in, in either of, well, either, in, in any of those three, mm-hmm. um, you know, categories.
2: Yeah. And really, what, you know, that category where you say, okay, if they don't understand, that's fine. I don't need them to understand it's not you know and they can't how can they possibly understand Mm -hmm. um that's just that's only going to help you because it's going to relieve that stress and strain and pressure you feel to get them on board and and it's about so there's an interesting concept that i really like talking about it's a buddhist concept uh it's there's suffering which which is, you know, the actual pain you feel or discomfort or distressing symptoms from your illness. And then there's secondary suffering, which is the suffering you experience as a result of the thoughts and emotions you have about the primary suffering. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept. I am. Um, Um, I I
1: utilize this great um, app on my phone for meditation practice that is called Mm Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's just great. And Emily Horn has a, a meditation on there in a pain and illness section that they have where she talks about how we remove that narrative from the pain we experience and how mm-hmm. that lessens the, the stress and the emotional worry associated with our physical pain.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and it has so been... It really- it's it's probably been like my most favorite meditation I've ever done aside from like loving compassion mm-hmm. or loving kindness training.
2: Right. And yeah, it's really fantastic because when you if you can reduce a large amount of your suffering yourself, hey, why not, right? We're we're, yeah. we're suffering enough already. So, um, I really like the idea and the the act of you know, working on my thoughts and choosing my thoughts and making decisions that reduce the secondary suffering. And one of those decisions was, okay, who do I not need to understand what's going on with me? Because the need for them to understand is secondary suffering for me when they Mm -hmm. don't. Um, And I'm a huge, huge proponent of self-care. So (laughs) Self-care overall, over everything else. So to me, you know, anything that you can do to reduce your suffering is doing something for your self-care. I really just wanted to mention a book that I've discovered that is a fantastic self-care related uh, book. It's called The Art of Extreme Self-Care by Cheryl Richardson. And Mm -hmm. I really, really like it. I've given it to quite a few clients. Because what I've noticed is that a lot of people that I work with who push themselves beyond what their you know mental emotional capacity is and what their bodies can handle are the type of people who are people pleasers and Mm -hmm. who don't want to let other people down and who keep doing things for others and don't do things for themselves and almost to the point where they the thought of doing anything for themselves is just horrifying and sounds Mm -hmm. so selfish and oh could never do that and sometimes just me saying something about it isn't enough. So this book is a really wonderful way. And there's a couple of things she talks about. One of them is the chapter is called Let Me Disappoint You. And it's all about how to learn how to disappoint other people by saying no and that sort of thing. And it sort of normalizes that it's okay. It's okay to look after yourself first and say no to people when you're not up for it. And, you know, and also she looks at, you know, what are you depriving yourself of? What do you feel deprived of? A lot of people say, you know, time for myself, relaxation, and and just it's usually stuff around themselves. And, you know, I wonder, like, wh- why it's not not happening? And let's make that happen, especially when you're dealing with chronic pain and illness. And it's funny because... And I see it on our on online communities. I see it everywhere that for some reason we feel we need to smile and cover things up and, you know, go get them and do still keep doing things for others when we're sort of falling apart.
1: Yeah, it's um, this book sounds like it's describing me, so I'm going to have to order it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: I really I recommend it. It's an easy book, and it's really well laid out.
1: I'm I'm excited to read it. Like I I have mm-hmm. done um as you have done recently, you know, worked really hard on kind of overcoming that idea that we have to be people pleasers, that we have to keep working until we fall apart. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it's been a very long journey and it is not <laughs> yeah. easy. Um but it's it's very much the um the most worthwhile journey I have ever been on, you know, mm-hmm. ba- basically on, on the same level of um, kind of the journey of my love life. Wow! Um, yeah, which is which
2: is pretty dang impactful. So, <laughs> well, and the, the cool thing is that when you stop people pleasing, your chances of your relationship working on the long term increase. Mm -hmm. which sounds sort of counterintuitive, (laughs) but the more you work on putting yourself first and pleasing yourself, especially, you know, if you have that people-pleasing tendency, the more likely you're going to be able to have a healthy relationship because what happens with people pleasers is that they give and they give and they give. They feel like they're not getting much if anything in return and they're trying to keep everyone happy. And eventually something starts to break down and resentment starts to build up and Mm -hmm. frustration and anger. And then often what happens is keeping it inside, keeping it inside, keeping it inside and then boom, and your partner will say, well, where did that come from? I had no idea you were feeling that way. And, and you're just way beyond, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this seems to be me. I speak from experience. So it's really important to say, you know, start now. Start setting your boundaries, looking after yourself, so that you're not building resentment towards the other people or your partner. Um, otherwise, that can really erode a relationship.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's... Um... I think it's just all a part of what I consider the most important part of our relationship, which is communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether that's how difficult it is to learn to communicate about your pain to somebody and to let them into that vulnerable world of, of your pain and your um, experience of the world mm-hmm. or um, communicating your sexual needs or... Yeah. Communicating your emotional needs or mm-hmm. even just, um, you know, communicating your praise. I think that's something that we don't do very often. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult, I think, for us to sit down and, and just really connect with someone and say, you know, I really appreciated the other night when you were getting yourself a glass of milk and you took out my shot so it could warm up so I could do it at the right time because you knew I was busy or because Mm -hmm. you knew I wasn't feeling well, um, you know, that it's very difficult for us to sit down and and connect on that emotional level to really, you know, from one person's soul to another, Mm -hmm. um, express that gratitude. And it's just an interesting... issue that that I think we have in our society.
2: Yes. Oh, communication is number one. And asking for your needs to be met. It's incredible how many people I meet, including people who have been in relationships for years, who think, you know, no, I don't want to have to ask because that means my partner doesn't love me as much if they can't read my mind, if they don't read my Mm -hmm. mind. (laughs) They should just know. And if they don't, well, they just don't love me. And I'm thinking, (laughs) well... Yeah, maybe if we could read each other's minds, but imagine (laughs) if you just asked for what you needed and it would make everything so much clearer and so much easier. And it's amazing how much secondary suffering you can eliminate when you just ask for for what you need. Yeah. And then communicate your, like you said, communicate your appreciation. It can be really hard to ask for your needs to be met, especially when you first start practicing it. It can feel really vulnerable and awkward, but it's Mm -hmm. worth hanging in there and keeping up with it because it will it will make things so much easier you know it it's
1: it's one of those things that I personally have kind of gone through that journey lately um you know I grew up in in a home where there was a lot of neglect and abuse and so Mm -hmm. I I kind of inadvertently just became a people pleaser out of you know necessity and survival (laughs) um and um when I met my husband, I was still very much in that mode. And so now, mm-hmm. you know, we've been together almost nine years and I am just finally kind of getting to that point where I am actually okay and comfortable communicating some of my needs. Really? And it is very difficult mm-hmm. to get to that point and to convince yourself you are worth what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, even for me, like I, I will tell people till I'm blue in the face or the hair as it may be right now. Um, <laughs> to, you know, that they're worth it and they can ask for what they want and you go. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I turned around and I'm not necessarily living that in my yeah. life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, yep. it's, it's kind of an interesting, uh, journey to, to go through. It's very difficult as you're saying, um, mm-hmm there are times where I've wanted to communicate those needs and I just can't get them out, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just still isn't, it isn't a habit yet. Um, but it's getting there and, and, and the process of all of that while difficult is extremely rewarding.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I wish we were taught in school, you know, elementary school, high school, like basic communication tools. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't until I became a counselor till I discovered that it was that I discovered how dysfunctional my communication style was and how dysfunctional the communication in my family was, who I thought was, you know, your average Canadian family, um, you know, everything was fine. <laughs> then I realized, well, maybe it wasn't fine. No wonder I was struggling so much. I thought it was all... My me, I was the bad one. I was the one of the problems, um, and then that's why I became a people pleaser. Uh, and then I discovered, oh yes, our communication style had a lot of room for improvement, and just even basic tools that I learned that I use all the time now that have made my life so much easier. And I share a lot of those in the book. Um, I don't, I don't know why we don't teach these in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that's- I
1: think it goes along with, like, some of those other things we should probably teach in school that we don't, like, how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> right, <or>
2: Yeah, <laughs> Some of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, who's got energy to, to lobby for that? I certainly don't, you know. <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful. Um, yeah, it's important that we use our energy just for what's, you know, really the priority. Um, but yeah, communication and relationships really key and probably one of the things people struggle with the most and uh, communication around sex, if communication around re- day-to-day issues is tough and emotions, communication around sex is that much more challenging for so many people. <laughs>
1: right. it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to communicate about. No. Um, I think, especially for women, we are kind of shoved into that people pleaser mode when it comes okay. to sex often. Okay. And so we're not really taught that it's okay to say, Hey, that's kind of an awkward position. Can we move to this? Okay. Or, um, to really be vocal and suggest things during points of intimacy. Um. Okay. I think we're often taught, especially in like heteronormative, heterosexual relationships, like, well, the guy should take the lead and mm-hmm. you do whatever mm-hmm. the guy wants you to do. And that's not necessarily um, how a real relationship, uh, a mature relationship based on love and trust and mutual admiration um, should really be functioning.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and let me just say, every relationship is so different. And every sexual relationship can be so different. So it's really hard to, sometimes it's hard to talk about them generally, but I do agree with what you're saying. And the people pleasing bit can lead to, again, more suffering if you aren't looking out for yourself. Um, You know, protecting yourself, making sure that you're making it as comfortable as possible for you. Mm. I just have to share this thing I discovered like two weeks ago. Um, I've been, I have a great mattress it's really comfortable, like pillow top, but I'm still having pain from when I wake up in the mornings. Yeah. And I bought a memory foam bed topper, like 2 inches and a memory foam pillow, and this has changed my life. Really. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly my bed is somewhere where I enjoy going. Uh, I I just it's I can't describe to you how comfortable it's become. It's like this floating on a heavenly cloud. It's, re- it's relieved a lot of my, you know, body pain and, yeah, just, so having a comfortable place to go even just to be sexual is, like, foundation, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, talking about self-care and sex, like, just even thinking about things like that. How can you make things more comfortable for you? Um, whether it's asking for your needs to be met, setting boundaries, speaking up during sex and making your bed as comfortable as possible. Um, I just had to throw that in there. Cause for me, this has been like an incredible discovery and I'm thinking, why didn't I do this years ago? <laughs> that is
1: awesome though. I've, I've been dealing with some similar issues actually mm-hmm. to the point where I've been sleeping on the couch more often mm. than my bed just mm-hmm. because, it's easier for me to wake up and like not feel like my neck wants to detach itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this is definitely a, a, an important thing for us to do. Yeah. Um, I, I recently got a pillow that it's, it's a little, um, I don't know, poofier than, mm-hmm. than my neck can handle all right. the time, but right. it has a, uh, it's memory foam. And then one of the sides is, got like this cooling gel in it oh nice and um because of my systemic ja i get um you know kind of these fevers or hot flashes type Mm. things um and so that has been incredibly comfortable for me on those nights where i'm too warm but i still you know I I still need the blanket Mm -hmm. and how do I balance my body heat and, and and the temperature in the room the right way, um, just to get comfortable enough to lay down, let alone do anything else. Mm -hmm. So, um,
2: yeah, it's so important to. Well, and just to cut in, I noticed that these memory foam um, mattress toppers come in with the cooling gel kind too. Oh <laughs> my because gosh! I'm someone who's always freezing, so I didn't I didn't go for that option. But I did see that you can get the whole mattress topper to be cooling if that's what you if that's your thing. Yeah, I should be selling these things. I swear, but. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so to do after our call is go <laughs> on Amazon. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Totally worth
1: it. And then also, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's so funny. I, I normally am it, it, or have been in the past someone who gets um, cold very easily, hmm. but it's it's not been until the last mm, six months where my systemic ja has been much more under control um from like My a own. medical standpoint and it was it's been really weird um,
2: but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's nice to get like one thing kind of mostly checked yeah. out yeah it's pretty um, amazing isn't it when something calms down it's it's very
1: weird because i'm now discovering things that i always thought were the systemic ja that are other forms of pain or other oh. illnesses that i have oh. and so its um it's kind of been an interesting event because it's like um it's almost like housekeeping right mm-hmm. you I've lifted up the couch finally after trying for 23 <laughs> years <and laughs> I don't like the way the, you put that yeah <laughs> found the the missing
2: remote and <laughs> <laughs> oh that's where this is I thought it was gone <laughs> um
1: so, so that's been interesting but um you know, on the other side, it's been where I get extremely overheated, um, and it's interesting because my husband is always somebody who likes to be chilly, mm. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and now it's like sometimes I want it colder than he does, and it's wow. kind of been an interesting like <laughs> change <laughs> and things. Uh, it's a good one because we're we're both enjoying being chilly instead of me like covered in sweatshirts and <laughs> blankets mm-hmm,
2: yeah. and all of that. But uh, it's, it's been an interesting shift. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I, yeah, what I wouldn't give to be a little less freezing all the time. Um, <laughs> actually, I wanted to go back to something we were talking about, about sex and people-pleasing and the, and, and the information out there about that because when I was maybe... In the ten years before I wrote my book, like in the past ten years, I've been looking for information about sex and chronic pain, um, especially having various types of pelvic pain myself, um, which fluctuates. But you know, I was looking for resources. Okay, what can I do about this? You know, I go, for, I do physio for pelvic floor, and that helps a lot. Um, and it was, and it helped. It, like the pelvic floor physio helped at times so much, so that I was really enjoying sex without pain. Um, and looking for resources, even books that were quote unquote supposed to be helpful, <laughs> or sorry, were supposed to be quote unquote helpful. Yeah. Everything I read was about women gritting their teeth in pain, and either. When they're looking for a solution, either their relationship broke up because of it, their chronic pain, or they didn't find a solution and they were continuing with the sex with grit through gritted teeth just to keep their husbands happy. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book. I thought, are those the only two options? And there's going to be another one. (laughs) And if I found something that helps me enough to avoid the gritted teeth pain, whether and any kind of pain, right? Like sex can hurt if you have major back pain and you can't, you know, get into possession, or you have neck pain, or you have migraines, like whatever it might be. Do we really need to either have a relationship fall apart or just lie there and bear it? (laughs) <laughs> um I thought there's got to be a better way and I you know I think there is I think we just need to be more creative and in order to be more creative we need to be able to talk to our partners about it
1: mm-hmm. I, I think too um I talked recently with Tambra Lynn or Timberlane, Tamburlaine who mm-hmm. does um very similar work to what you do but she focuses on um people who have gone through cancer whether it's mm. patients themselves or their partners mm-hmm. um which is really cool and she's doing some really great things um and she and I were talking yesterday about um kind of the, the post cancer experience or or during cancer experience where you may be dealing with some side effects of medications, or sensations mm-hmm. aren't the same in your body anymore, and the need for us to kind of go back to um, our our puberty hormone fueled mm-hmm. adolescent yeah. exploration of each other that many of us have kind of gone through in our lives, you know, during that age period.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh,
1: and, and get creative and, and it really explore each other in, mm-hmm. in every way, whether that's an emotional exploration or physical or psychological kind of uh, conversations that we have. Um, but, but especially the physical, especially just kind of playing with each other and not necessarily needing it to follow the, the kind of quote unquote linear progression of an Mm -hmm. orgasm or anything like that. But, but just playing and exploring and, and um, appreciating each other's bodies and each other as people. Um, And I think that's something that we can
2: hopefully all take to heart Mm
1: -hmm. in our relationships.
2: And what a great way to increase intimacy, you know, because there are other ways, and what you've just described are lots of suggestions for doing that. Um, one thing that I've had a little bit of experience with—not really enough to speak authoritatively on it—but um, when I was back in school, we did a tantra workshop, and mm-hmm. it was really eye-opening as to the amount how intimate you could feel with your partner without actually. It, being sexual, but just, Mm -hmm. yeah, just the exercises that we did and and just like really building that connection on a really deep, intimate, emotional, intuitive level. It was very powerful. And I remember thinking, you know, when I'm with the right guy, we're going to do a tantra workshop because (laughs) this is pretty cool. And I could see how that would really enhance a relationship and definitely can be, you know, can, tantra can be very sexual and it doesn't always, and it cannot be, you know, and, you know, you could do various things. I mean, I don't even know all the things you can do within that umbrella, but what I experienced was some real eye-opening into really increasing, deepening a relationship. It was, I think it's, yeah, there's so many things out there. We just need to, to be creative, experiment, try different things and, and keep our ears open to what's out there.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think too, like not being afraid to try to seek out resources. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it can be difficult. And you were talking about that a little bit ago. Um, And, and, you know, that's part of why chronic sex is a thing, because I Mm -hmm. want there to be one place people can go and be like, I know that somehow I will be able to find some sort of answer or something that might Mm -hmm. be able to help me um but you know it's 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 kind of focused on that idea of how do we get in touch with ourselves in order to get in touch with other people in order to live our best lives possible despite the fact that we're all dealing with shitty bodies or, <laughs> yeah. you know, the hormonal differences and, and all that stuff. Um,
2: yeah, something it, just popped into my head about that. Um, and it, you just saw what you said about going back to that time when we were teenagers and we were really exploring. I almost mm-hmm. feel like it's a way, we almost need to, like, slow down. Yeah, yeah. start at the beginning again. It, 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 like, really not rush. I'm thinking mindful sex. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, like just really amazing. being, pre- I know, I just thought of that <laughs> really, really being present and, and whether it's, it's just you and yourself, uh, exploring yourself or with your partner, like really being present there and, and engage and fully engage in what you're doing and observing and really being there in the moment
1: mhm really really connecting with your mm-hmm. body with your mind with your emotions and um and going into it with the right intention um you know not going mm-hmm. into it most of the time i would hope with with the idea of like oh i got to get off but yeah. more going <laughs> into it with the idea of um you know i am so happy that i get to enjoy this time with my partner who i care about and Um, have this deep emotional connection to and no matter what happens during this time period I know we will both enjoy it and you know Mm -hmm. almost um, yeah
2: even going in with an attitude of curiosity which is one technique I like is oh I'm so curious as to what this is going to be like what are we going to discover that's new what you know what uh, how am I going to feel is there going to be something what 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 can I try that's different Mm -hmm. um I like that attitude as well. On top of the just, yeah, it's it's a pleasurable experience. the 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 key the goal is pleasure, not necessarily orgasm.
1: Yes, um, pleasure and 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 enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just enjoying each other. I know one of the things that um, we have done is kind of just sit there and look at each other, whether it's, you know, eye-to-eye contact or um, kind of exploring each other's bodies in, in a more visual sense and,
2: mm.
1: and seeing what reactions happen when you do certain things. And, you know, at first, mm. as a woman who, you know, has some body image issues, it's gotten a lot better, but they're still there. <laughs> right. Um, You know, that was very alarming to me. Mm. I was uncomfortable with it. I was like, why are you staring at these parts of me? (laughs) You're just going to see my fat stomach. and You know, like things like that. Um, And now it's just something that I really enjoy. It's just another way of um, appreciating each other on a scale that we, um, you know, as, as people in general, don't always do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's that's one thing that I think can be really impactful, too, is just looking at each other, examining each other in a way that, you know, we may have done when we were younger and um, fueled by all of these hormones and Mm -hmm. things like that.
2: That sounds like a wonderful, wonderful suggestion, Um, because I think, you know, there's so much involved when you when you've got chronic pain or illness or both, first of all, if your illness isn't to the point where first of all you know assuming that it's you're still interested in sex or physical intimacy given your pain and illness, and then, if you're on medication, like assuming that you still have interest after all the medication side effects have kicked in, which can often increase, decrease libido um, as a pain and illness, you know, then, okay, then it's like, okay, what are you left with? And for the lucky ones, yeah, they're still into it. They're still, um, you know, interest in sex. They have, they have a sex drive, libido. Um, a lot of people don't, or, you know, they've, very cautious because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, physically, I really don't want to make anything worse. But what you, like your suggestion is a great starting place, whether, you know, whether you have a sex drive or not, just just, just start somewhere and something gentle that's, you know, mm-hmm. pleasurable and there's no risk of exacerbating symptoms.
1: Right, right. Unless you have major anxiety about your body like I do.
2: Right, <laughs> right. Cause what, yeah, well, I mean, that's really vulnerable place it to is. be. I mean, you could start by just going topless, right? You could start there yeah. um, with something like that. But again, I really think it's, I think we sort of, well, I, I know I think this way and, and, and uh, people I've talked to have sort of related to, it, but I always thought like, oh, sex should be glamorous and it should be like the movies and everything should be mm-hmm. smooth and and fluid and the clothes should just fly in this arc off. <laughs> and, you know, everything's going to look like a rock star and it's not like that at all. <laughs> Part of it is accepting that, okay, it's not like that at all. And... Um, And just sort of going one step at a time, trying different things, and, yeah, getting that ideal picture of sex out of your head, and then just sort of working from there.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it goes along with that people-pleasing idea. We want to have perfection in our relationships and our interactions with other people, Mm -hmm. Um, and that... That's not reality. No, no. <laughs> well, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> you know, not reality. That's, that's not what really happens. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just... It's, it's a difficult thing to get over in general, but I think especially where it comes to sex. When we don't talk about it in our society, um, when we have places that still don't even do comprehensive sexual education, mm-hmm. um, when we have areas of the country that have increased STD, STI rates because, you know, we don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. It makes it really hard to talk about it um, on, on such a higher um, emotional and vulnerable level like that mm-hmm. um, when we're not even talking about the basic <laughs> mechanics or yeah. um, the dangers that can be associated with sex.
2: Absolutely. I, I really agree. And, you know, I, yeah, it, it's it's funny. I was just in a, in a session the other day with a client and I I think I mentioned, you know, something about asking her partner about FTDs. And I sort of got this blank look as though it wouldn't, that's not, not a conversation she would have with the new partner. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, we still have a long way to go around communicating around sex on all levels Um, because I feel like I mean I've always been very um, militant about with new partners about okay we're getting tested because I don't need to be worrying about that you know that's another secondary suffering I can alleviate
0: because Mm -hmm. I'm the
2: sort of person who will be it will dwell on, oh, well, what if, what if, what if, and I have enough physical problems as it is, I don't need to add to them, and I have no problem yeah. asking someone, you know, let's just get this out of the way, but I think, you know, even that is a really hard conversation for people to have, for some people. Mm-hmm. yeah It is.
1: It's very interesting, and it, it all, I think, goes back to the conversation we were having a, a little bit ago about... School's needing to have some sort of basic communicative you know, mm-hmm. course mm-hmm. Yeah. where we learn all this stuff. Even if it's just um, basic stuff, it might fuel some of us into researching how we have these difficult conversations with other mm-hmm. people. Um, there's there's this really great sex educator whose name is Reed. And I can't mm-hmm. recall his name off the top of my head. It starts with an M. Okay. Um and I'll, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes and, and shoot you a link with his information. Thank you. Um, but he has this really great um, article on his site that talks about how to have difficult conversations. And it's not meant necessarily for sex or, or sexual situations. Um, and it's not always just meant for, you know, even a, an intimate relationship uh, where you would have that kind of a conversation that may be mm-hmm. difficult, but um, he's also talked about similar things with regards to work relationships mm. or just in general, and it's um, it's a really interesting article, um, and he's done some really interesting workshops.
2: That's awesome! At yeah, and, I'd love to see that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'll have to shoot it to you. It's um, it's really, really cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we can use more of that. N- you know, thinking back to my sex ed class in high school, um, I, you know, I don't remember much from it. I remember putting ba- uh, condoms on bananas and yeah. <laughs> doing some vague brainstorming on a flip chart and talking about, and we must have talked about STDs, but nothing about how do you talk about it with your, your mm-hmm. partner, like how do you bring it up when do you bring it up what do you say like nothing like that sort of and and without that you'll though yeah i've been white <laughs> 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 uh difficult to help. <laughs> yeah. and you know i think having those conversations is really important for you coming back to self-care, self-care. It's self-care. It's self care is self care it's it's all about self care making mm. sure You know, you're protecting yourself that way. It's, you know, and if someone, if that puts someone off, well, is that someone you want to be with? Right. (laughs) I don't know. That's what it (laughs) is. If they're not respectful of your body's health and their own, uh, probably not, you know, especially if you're already dealing with enough. Yeah, I don't
1: know that I could be with somebody who um, kind of had that mindset about things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it would it would just be a very, a very difficult uh, situation.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is p-
1: probably why a lot of my previous relationships didn't turn out because <laughs> they were people we both of similar mindsets. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. Yeah, I know. I I was. Hooking up with a guy—it's been a while now, years ago—and remember, I pull out the condom. And he says, "People still use these." <laughs> <gasps> yeah, we did not have sex. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, and I think that was more of a manipulation into getting me to agree not to use one than an honest sort of. Ignorance about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it <makes And> sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got to protect ourselves and people pleasing and, you know, self-care and protecting don't, they don't go together. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's about how can we, how can we find a way for it to be okay to put ourselves first?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I just thought of another question mm-hmm. and, uh, it's it's slightly from a personal level
2: on my part. Sure. But
1: when when people haven't you know kind of been taught as they're growing up or or in previous situations how to set boundaries in in any sort of relationship, mm-hmm. um, what are some things that are your kind of go to things to help those people? work on that, on, on setting boundaries and on um, kind of that self-preservation, self-care mm-hmm. um, type stuff?
2: Well, I guess the first the, the first step is identifying your boundaries and mm-hmm. how do you know if there's a boundary being crossed. Um, I work a lot with people and their intuition and their gut feeling, you know, that, that little voice mm-hmm. in the back of their head. And if you're in a situation and you're feeling uncomfortable, chances are there's a boundary that's being crossed if you're getting frustrated yeah. around somebody, there's a boundary, boundary being crossed. Um, you know, if something doesn't feel right and you go along with it, eh, you're crossing a boundary. So really first identifying what they are and then finding a way to communicate them to others. And there's a tool that I really love that I call the feedback formula. Um, my shirt, my book, but essentially it's um, using I statements and feeling statements. So, For example, Mm -hmm. um, when you want to have sex on the first date, I feel really uncomfortable because my values are different or, you know, or because my values are or or it's important for me to wait at least a month. Uh, Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to wait? And so wording it in a way that's non-confrontational, using nonviolent communication essentially that's what right. it's called, and finding ways to express it without blaming or finger pointing or telling the other person they're doing something wrong, rather than putting the focus on them, take, taking it on yourself and owning it and saying, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Would you be willing to do it differently? Because this isn't working for me. Mm. <clears throat> so mm. yeah, it's, I think that's uh, – and that's been really effective in my experience. Well, well it's good to hear. It's, yeah. It's, it's the other, not or, an easy thing. The, the other thing about boundaries I just wanted to throw in there is I found um, through personal experience that we often we, we think – I need to set boundaries with these people. But often the person you need to set boundaries with is yourself. For, yeah. exa- for example, um, I said – I decided, okay, I'm not going to stay out past – I don't know. Whatever, ten o'clock on any given night, because I need to be in bed at a decent time to get enough sleep. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking at first, I'm going to have to set boundaries with people and tell them I need to be home, you know, by ten. And then I realized, you know, I'd be out and having a good time. I'd be like, oh, 10, whatever. And then I realized, I oh, don't know, I need to set the boundary with myself. <laughs> Kira it's nine forty-five. It's time to skedaddle like, and, and mm-hmm. really hold myself accountable. Um, and yes, you know, not letting other people talk me into staying, but generally if I was setting the boundary with myself, they would respect that. So yeah, it's sometimes it's interesting to see in that respect who actually needs the boundary the most.
1: Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know a lot of my boundaries have to do with my people pleasing. And so if I set a boundary, it's like, well, I would like to not go to another bar after this. So I'm going to go back to our hotel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes it's very hard to stick to that boundary that I have set um, for myself because Mm -hmm. I want to be people pleasing and say, Mm -hmm. Oh no, like we never get to see each other. Let's just go to another bar. It's going to be great. Instead of being like, no, I, I set this boundary you know, I know what I have to do to take care of myself. Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's go back to the hotel so I can sleep.
2: Yeah, um, and it can be tough. Oh, one of my very best friends just moved last week to Australia from Canada. Okay. So, yeah, so I'm pretty much going to see her maybe once a year now if I'm lucky. <laughs> this is one of my closest friends. So that's tough. And she had her going away dinner last week. Or was it earlier this week? Earlier this week, actually. And I went and it was, you know, a half hour drive from my home and I had, I worked two days a week in the clinic, so the following day was a day in the clinic and I knew I needed to be in bed at a certain time so that I would have an okay day the next day because I'm really affected if my sleep schedule gets changed at all, like incredibly affected. So there was about, I don't know, 20, 25 people at her dinner and 8.30 rolls around and I knew that, okay, you got to get in the car, get home by 9, walk the dog, Gary for bed, turn the light out by 10. That was my schedule. And it was really hard to leave because no one else was leaving at 8.30. And this was my best friend who was moving to the other side of the planet. <laughs> and they started going, oh, i got to stay. And and there were also a lot of people I hadn't seen for a while who I really like, friends of mine who was really enjoying mm-hmm. their company. That was a tough one. I had to be really firm and say, Kira, you know how you're going to feel tomorrow if you stay. And you really need to feel good tomorrow. Because, you know, I have clients. I need to be there for them and give them my energy. Mm -hmm. So I left at 8.30, and that was tough. I'm not going to lie. That was really hard. But in the long run, and now I'm glad I did because it was something I had to do for myself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of you for doing that. That is... Not an easy thing, <laughs> no, it's
2: not, but it's worthwhile, right to keep the consistency mm-hmm. in your life and to follow the rules that help you stay feeling your best
1: exactly and mm-hmm. I think I think that's what we have to do for ourselves. We have to figure out what works for us in order for us to live our best lives mm-hmm. um, and that's something everybody needs. It's not specific to those of us who have illnesses or no. chronic pain or mm-hmm. disabilities, but I think it's definitely a little more poignant for us (laughs) (laughs) because we deal with some, you know, extra additional effects of issues (laughs) when we don't um, take care of ourselves the right
2: way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um,
1: So I have three fun questions. Mm Mm-hmm that I would love to ask you. Go for it. I'm kind of asking everybody. And I think, you know, I'm I'm channeling James Lipton and inside the actor's studio (laughs) because I'm a nerd and that's okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am too, so we're all good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nerd life. Um, So the first one is what is your favorite curse word or your favorite like curse word replacement? I make up words a lot. And so Mm -hmm. I'll use those. So if you have any of those, you'd like to share.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I gotta be honest. There's nothing better for me than a well-placed dropped F bomb.
1: You know, it's funny. Everybody I've talked to so far has said
2: that (laughs) one. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's satisfying. It just, it it's to the point, you know, it describes the situation perfectly. And I've dropped a lot of those over the years with chronic pain <laughs> Yes. And, and we know as chronic pain patients the, uh,
1: the value of using curse words that, that have actually been proven to help lower our pain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's totally okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, the, everybody else mm-hmm. I've talked to so far, we've kind of talked about how it's also a very versatile word. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, it, and it, can, it can portray, you know, a number of different emotions from like a sexual emotion to, to mm. very angry emotion to just very much surprise. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and so that it's, that's part of why um, everybody so far has said <laughs> that that is their favorite group. <laughs> That's
2: funny. Yeah, no, definitely at the top of the list.
1: Yeah, I um, <clears throat> sometimes I will use frickle frackle as like a replacement. <sighs> <word>. Right, frack <laughs> friggin' yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's a good it's a good situation. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite thing to do for yourself for self-care or to pamper yourself?
2: Well, I'm a huge reader. I love to read fiction um, mostly. I read a lot of self-help, but the fun part is the fiction. Um, I grew up, I didn't have a TV in my family until I was about 14. So I grew up reading. So I think that's why I must be such a huge reader. (laughs) Um, I'm a bit of a book nerd, bookworm. And when I want to pamper myself, like I have an e-reader, but it's not the same. I like a real book, solid pages, and, you know, I'll go to the library. But when I really want to give myself a treat, I go to the bookstore and I buy some books, Um, not the most financially – I, well, yeah, not the cheapest way to go, but, oh, the most satisfying for sure. And when I buy a book, you will know that I've read it because the spine is going to be bent <laughs> <laughs> like nobody's business. There's going to be food stains. It'll have been dropped in the bathtub, so the pages will be <laughs> wrinkled. Like, I love nothing better than to really read a book, not just read it, but physically, you know, enjoy it. Um mm-hmm. I love to read. I love to read. And I love books and I love the smell of new books and bookstores. So that would be that the top. <laughs> Sorry. That
1: smell. Is oh just,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> between the smell of new books and like the smell of really old books. Mm, yeah. Both. Um, I, um, I worked in acquisitions for work study at the historical society here in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was really cool because I was able to um, go through some very old newspapers. We're talking like Civil War era, oh, wow. Um, wow. And, and books that were of similar age. And it's just that smell of just old, kind of musty books. books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a. There's a, like, meme that that goes around every mm-hmm. so often um, that involves, like, pictures from Beauty and the Beast about, like, I don't want their relationship because it's, like, Stockholm Syndrome, uh-huh. but I want the library.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, books. <laughs> oh Definitely. It's so bad, but, mm-hmm. but also so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, What is
1: your favorite thing about
2: yourself? My favorite thing about myself, I think, is how far I've come. And actually, my favorite thing about myself is the person that I've become, mostly as a result of the pain and illness I've experienced and the journey to healing um, and to personal growth that like years and years I've invested and hours and time and tears and more tears and (laughs) screaming into pillows and, and, you know, seeing therapists going to workshops, going to school, helping other people. It's just, I, I feel I like myself now. I never did. It took a long time to get here. And I, I really love that. I'm able to like myself now. And I'm really proud of that. It yeah. makes such a huge difference. Oh, does um, it ever? Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it gets to the
1: point, too, where if somebody compliments you on something, you actually, like, accept that mm, and you believe like, it. And you
2: believe it. Yeah. You're
1: like, wow. Yeah. I, I am, like, a good public speaker type person. Cool. Instead yeah. sort of, like, oh, no, like, you're so wrong. Like I, I said so many, ums. there's no way.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've worked damn hard to get to where I am and I'm proud of it. And yeah. Yeah. you <laughs> have been through a lot. I do.
1: You do really great work and share some things that are really vulnerable to share, um, in a way that helps other people. And, um, you know, you're, you're a badass and I, oh, thank I appreciate you, you. <laughs> and, and the things that you would do for other people. It's is pretty awesome.
2: Well, my fellow badass, you too. I really, I think this is such an important topic and you're the only one I see out there. Really. I have to check out the, um, the ultimate guide to sex and disability. Cause I haven't come across that. I'm going to look it up, but, um, Yeah, you're spreading the word on a really important topic and I love what you're doing and I'm so happy to be a part of it.
1: Oh man, I I have just had like the most fun talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great
2: conversation. (laughs) Yeah, thank you.
0: Isn't Kira so much fun? I just really love her. She brings this interesting mix of like wisdom and love and light that is just so soothing to be around and to talk to. Next week, we're going to have some very special things going on. I am currently in Portland, Oregon, about two hours north of Eugene, where I grew up. And I'm hanging out with my friend and amazing sex educator, the founder of sex geekdom, Kate McCombs. She's pretty much my twin, and it's a little creepy to be honest, but like in a good way. Anyway, I'm here and we're going to run one of her Tea and Empathy workshops together on the 14th. I'll put a link to that in the show notes in case you're listening and are in the area. And it's before 6 p.m. Pacific time on the 14th. It's a really fun workshop. We talk about all the feels. There's no cure evangelism, as Kate likes to call it, where people are telling you you should just do yoga to cure your multiple disabilities and chronic illnesses. It's a very safe place, full of tea and love and comfort. And it's a really great place to meet some pretty cool people. I had a chance to go through this workshop with Kate, Um, At the end of September, when I presented at the Women in Pain Conference in Los Angeles, she just happened to be there at the same time, and we basically spent a full 24 hours together. (laughs) Running this workshop is so exciting for me, and being able to spend time with people like Kate and some of the other amazing, both Spoonies and sex educators in the Portland, Oregon area is just fantastic. I honestly woke up this morning pinching myself, asking myself, is this my life? And then I realized I woke up at what would have been 11 o'clock back home in Wisconsin and regretted my life choices, mostly because I didn't wake up early enough to try to offset some of that breakthrough pain before you take your meds. (laughs) It's been a fun morning. Anyway, I hope that you are doing well and that your week, until we talk again, I hope, is full of love and light and comfort and joy and all of those things that I think we really need right now in our world. Take care of you.